And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to the 3-0 Show for Thursday, December 1st. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris, Katie Wu, Bricciaroli on much-deserved vacations on this episode. We will recap what has been a pretty intriguing first month of transactions for the Major League Baseball offseason, a November recap that has featured a busier-than-expected Anaheim Angels club. So we'll talk about what their moves mean for 2023, what it might mean for the future of Shohei Otani, at least over the course of this winter. And then, of course, we'll dig into other moves. Jose Abreu, is now a member of the Houston Astros. Mike Clevenger went to the White Sox. We've had a few trades that have come up over the course of the month. We'll kind of grade the moves so far and try to set the table for what's to come with the winter meetings on tap for next week. You know, I think the big question with the Angels is, is Shohei Otani more likely to stay on this roster at least through the first part of the season in the wake of the moves they've made so far? We talked a bit about Tyler Anderson signing a multi-year deal there on our last episode with Katie two weeks ago. They made the trade for Gio Urshela, and then they made another trade for Hunter Renfro. So they've added quite a bit to this roster already, seemingly to get more competitive and to make a run at the postseason with the Otani, Trout, Rendon trio all still in place for one more year. Uh, I'm, I'm actually counting right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. This this is really good radio, by the way. I, I just came on counting, but uh, the Angels are now twentieth in projected wins above replacement. That's that's how far they've risen in the ranks. But you know, this uh, it's not like the the work is done. Uh, you know, I think that they could still find in their budget maybe something for a middle infielder. You know, between David Fletcher and Luis Renjifo, I think they might have a couple of good backups. <laughs> I mean, I like both those players, but uh, for a team with championship aspirations or at least getting to the postseason aspirations, I think they need something there. Um, you know, going Otani, Anderson, Sandoval, Detmers, and then uh, a fair amount of depth, actually, for a team that even the, for a team that might have to go six uh, deep in their starting rotation, I think. They're doing pretty good in the starting rotation. I think the other last thing they would need is a stand-up reliever, a kind of closer, I think, with a capital C. Those two things are going to be expensive, middle infielder and closer. But the one thing that's nice about what they've done is they really updated their depth charts. They really uh, made their depth better with both of these, with Anderson, Renfro, um, and uh, to a lesser extent, there, you know, Urshela, I think, as well. Um, you know, Urshela could play second, could play short, um, you know, in a pinch that could be 
uh, their middle infielder. Maybe they don't have that much money to spend. But these are win-now moves. And I think that the idea might be that, uh, you know, we have two of the best five players in baseball or two of the best 10 players, however far you think Mike Trout has fallen. And we might as well go for it. And, you know, the new GM is probably saying, I want to go for it. <laughs> I want to, I don't want to rebuild. Um, and even the prospective ownership group is not, doesn't exist yet. It is not one single entity. We don't have a prospective buying group that's ready to go yet. So I think at this point, uh, the idea is we can get a lot for Shohei Otani at the trade deadline. We could probably get more now, but then we'd be uh, sort of punting on the season. So let's try and win this season. And if it doesn't work out, we'll trade Otani at the deadline. Right, because you've got this pretty rare opportunity with that much top-end talent. So I do like the moves they've made so far. As critical as I've been of the Angels over the last probably two to three years for lacking depth, for really struggling to put a, a complete pitching staff together. Uh, they're at least taking the right steps to do that. I'm 100% with you on the middle infield. I think if you are starting one of Luis Renjifo or David Fletcher every day at second base and the other is sort of your backup infielder that can play up the middle and you've got maybe Gio Urshela moving into more of a, a part-time role depending on the health of, of Jared Walsh or the possible addition of another maybe free like lower-end free agent first baseman, Suddenly, this becomes a deeper position player group, and that's something they've really lacked in recent years. And I wonder if they could actually go out and get one of the big free agent shortstops, because given given their needs and given how much they could improve at that one spot, you're talking about probably a three-war increase in their projection if they were to go out and get maybe a Xander Bogarts or a Carlos Correa. I mean, it, all those players have very competitive markets, but I wonder if the Angels can make one big push in free agency to get that last superstar in place at a position of desperate need. And I guess if they don't do that, what fallback options are there? Like what sort of mid-range upgrades at shortstop even exist right now, either via free agency or more likely via trade? I miscounted. So it was a really, really good opening. Uh, we are not at all rusty, uh, but uh, the Angels were 16th in, in protected war, actually. Um, and if you did give them three wins like you just gave them, which is bold, uh, but not unbelievable, if you gave them three wins on top of their current projection, uh, they would go all the way up to 11th. Yeah, see? Do it. You know, 11th is in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's I don't think there is a great middle ground uh, when it comes to middle infielders. It's kind of just how it goes because... You know, even Dansby Swanson to some, uh, you know, he's, he's the fourth best, uh, you know, star. He's still going to cost $150 million, uh, you know, on the on the market, probably. Um, so, you know, I, I behind him, uh, when you're just looking at shortstops, uh, the best answer is Elvis Andrews or Jose Iglesias, who are just, you know, stop gaps, very you know, 34, 33, they'd be the oldest shortstops out there if they played shortstop next year, both either one of them. Um, and so, I, you know, I think that would be a stopgap situation where they could do that. They could sign Jose Iglesias for $5 million and, and give themselves another option up the middle. 
They've done that before, but it, it's uh, it's a go big or go home kind of market. I wonder if the Angels, with their setup right now, wouldn't be uh, in the best situation to offer what the Twins offered Correa last year, which is something big on a one-year deal with opt-outs. You know, maybe some one of these uh, you know free agents doesn't get exactly what they want in terms of the big dollar signs and the long deal. Uh, and they think that they can do better by taking a bunch of little smaller deals. Maybe Xander Bogarts has to prove to people he can stay at short. You know, some people are already talking about moving him off of short. Well, you know, if you want to prove to people you can stay off, you stay at short, do the Carlos Correa thing. Take $35 million for one year, uh, you know, or 70 for two with an opt-out, you know, that sort of deal. And, and play short again for another year. And, and get out of this four free agent mix, right? Somebody might do that yeah. because there's four star shortstops right now and one of them might not like the offers they're getting. And if they don't like the offers they're getting, they say, okay, well, the Angels are offering me $30 million for one year. Uh, I might take that. Yeah, I think that's a pretty interesting way to think about it. I think the other the other paths via trade are, to me, less obvious. I know there were some rumblings that the Dodgers were interested in Willie Adames. That popped up a few days ago. I don't know how available he actually is. I think the decision to trade Hunter Renfro to the Angels is more about the Brewers trying to counterbalance having a lot of arbitration-eligible players that they want to keep and just finding a guy that they thought they could more easily replace with organizational depth given the young outfielders they have there. You start looking around other teams' depth charts, and most teams either have their long-term shortstop in place, their franchise guy, the teams that are looking are the other ones that the Angels are bidding against for these free agents. And yeah. then is there a team like Cleveland where yes. maybe Ahmed Rosario is actually more available than people realize? That was the team that I was I was that's the one team that may have a surplus of shortstops because, you know, even when you look at their prospects and what they have coming up, uh, Tyler Freeman and Gabriel Arias are both interesting shortstops. Um, and Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez can both play shortstop. So uh, you've got four viable shortstops in one organization for next year. Um, I think that the most likely uh, trade partner, you know, trade uh, situation there um, would be probably Ahmed Rosario uh, because he is one year away from being a free agent and is due $9 million. So uh, I think they, uh, the Guardians, sorry, would move Andres Jimenez over to shortstop and then fill second base with Owen Miller, Tyler Freeman, uh, maybe a, a stopgap from the market uh, that costs less than $9 million. Uh, that's not an impossible thing for the for the Guardians to to consider. So, yeah, Ahmed, Reza- Ahmed Rosario to the Angels. Let's, uh, or, or Xander Bogarts on a $30 million uh, one-year deal. I think it's a little trickier. The Bogarts thing, as far as following the Correa path, he's 30 already. Correa right. did that, I think, at 27 last winter. So that could also make it more difficult for Bogarts to do that. He also is one of the three players, along with Dansby Swanson and Trey Turner of this group, that have a qualifying offer attached. So to give up that draft pick compensation and potentially only have him for one year, that might be something that a team is reluctant to do. If you're looking for reasons why it couldn't happen or wouldn't happen, maybe those are the things to to keep in mind. But I think Ahmed Rosario is someone that will start to pop up in more 
uh, columns and, and trade rumor pieces and different things over these next few weeks because we know Cleveland has a lot of middle infield depth. They have some guys that are getting close to being big league ready, and we know they like to save money. So all the stars could align. I wonder what the Angels would actually give up. Would they continue trading young pitching? I know they've, they've moved some arms, and in part because they just keep drafting pitching almost exclusively in recent years. They've actually built up some depth. But uh, looking at that trade they made with the Brewers, did you like any of the pitchers going back to Milwaukee in that deal? Jansen Junk, Elvis Piguero, uh, and Adam Seminaris, I think, were the three that went back. Uh, Seminaris, the only lefty of that trio. Jansen uh, Junk actually... Uh, popped in the bottle and appropriate to his name uh it is his junk that is better than his fastball uh his slider <laughs> you, you mean look. secondary pitches right yes that's yeah. what i mean he has a junker important ball point of clarity <laughs> but his slider is his best pitch it is near elite uh i don't know I, he was sort of in between starting and relieving maybe the brewers uh push him uh to relief where the fastball plays up velo wise uh, and he's more of a, a good reliever, or they see something they can change in the changeup and curveball to make him a uh, a good pitcher despite a bad fastball. They've done that in the past with uh, people like Eric Lauer, um, and uh, you know they've had some success with also the hybrid sort of Brent Suter. They just lost Brent Suter. Jensen Junk could go in there and be a reliever that can also give them innings. Um, so I, I kind of like... Uh, that part of the, the 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 deal. However, I would like to say that I'd like this deal on some better for the Angels, and it reminds me a lot of the Teoscar Hernandez to the Mariners uh, deal, where what we're seeing now is that uh, corner outfielders without that much defensive value, uh, kind of maybe one note corner outfielders on one year uh, one year of contract that, you know, they don't, uh, bring back much in trades. And so that makes them actually, I think a little bit of a, uh, of an undervalued asset in that you can send basically relievers. I mean, that's what both trades were. You send relievers and, and you know, there used to be a thing that there was no such thing as a relief prospect. People said, you know, uh, you found relievers. You, 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 you. They were failed starters, and so on and so forth. Now you can send relievers and get a viable, above-average corner outfielder for for your reliever. I think do it, especially if you're a team that can that has shown some ability to make relievers. Now I'm not sure the Angels are that team yet, but they did just sign uh, a uh, their a director of pitching away from driveline, Bill Hazel. Uh, who uh, is one of the one of the better minds in pitching that you know I've talked to really respect him and they've done some other stuff under the hood in the past to improve their pitching development so uh, they might be a little better at at replacing Jenks and junk as they have been in the past yeah I think this is a lot like that Teoscar Hernandez situation a player that hits the ball hard someone that's probably 15 to 20 percent better than a league average contributor at the plate that's a nice boost to have. If you're a team that can be maybe in the wild card mix and you currently have some weakness in left field, right field, or even in your DH spot, you're projecting for you know a, a win above replacement or something. You could get someone that's three or four wins above replacement for next to nothing via trade if you're willing to pay $10, $12 million, whatever the late stage arbitration price tag is. That's a small price to pay, relatively speaking, for a pretty big boost to your offense. And you're probably talking about a player that if you are not actually in the wild card hunt come July, contending teams will trade for that player later because he 
is a good offensive player. So I think it it works out really well, especially if you're a team that's not necessarily a front runner in the division, but also you have a shot at being competitive uh, in the upcoming season. Also, uh, when Mike Trout is hurt, you can sneak Hunter Renfro to the plate and pretend you still have Mike Trout. The resemblance is uncanny. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> they send Renfro out to uh, to sign autographs if if Trout's not feeling well. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's, we it's have Mike Dole. Trout and budget Mike Trout. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the move for the Angels. I, I, I think this is in concert with the other things they're doing, a step in the right direction to be the team that a few of us thought they could be in 2022. And I imagine they're not done. I imagine they'll be active at the winter meetings as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, meanwhile, in the AL West, Jose Abreu lands with the Astros. A bit of a surprise to some that he got a third year. And uh, I think reading some of the different reaction pieces around, you know, Keith Law had one on The Athletic, Ben Clemens had one at Fangraphs. Uh, opinions very little bit in terms of loving it. I think Ben was more on that side. And I think Keith was more on the side of the Astros probably overextended relative to what they're likely to get at the end of the contract for Abreu. Um, all that is to say, like, I, and I think I've thought this about free agents for a long time. You don't get bargains in free agency very often. Usually you are going to pay full price, and sometimes you're going to pay even more than what full price should be based on projections. If you're the Astros and you're looking at contending for the World Series each of the next three seasons, the final dollars for Jose Abreu don't matter. He makes your team better. And as a righty who hits the ball very hard and has good plate skills, I think he's going to fit in that ballpark really well, even though his approach tends to be a little more of an all-fields approach for a first baseman. This is not a pull-everything power bat. This is a guy that actually is a good all-around hitter. Yeah, uh, you know, over at Fangrass, they had crowdsourcing has been pretty good in the past, uh, and they had him for two years and $32 million, and I really liked him at that number. Um, this number, you know, three years and 60 million is a lot higher than that. Um, and in terms of, uh, what he's projected to do next year, uh, you know, and over the next three years, it may be a, an overpay, some quick math, What you usually do is age a player, a half win a year at his age. Actually, it might be a little bit more aggressive at 36, but let's just be generous, age him a half, a half a win. So next year he'd be uh, the projection is for two, two and a half wins, basically. Uh, league average is two, right? So what you're saying is next year, he'll be above league average uh, player. And then the year after that, he'd be a league average player. And the year after that, he'd be a below league average player. If you add all that up, uh, basically you get 
you get about, let's see here, you get one, three, four, six wins. Uh, and so they would be paying, they're paying $60 million for six wins. The average price for a win in the past was about $8 million, eight to $9 million. You'd expect there to be inflation. There hadn't been inflation, probably because of some of the CBA uh, situation, COVID, the shortened year. Uh, maybe we're, this is a, a sign that there will be inflation in the market this year and that teams will be willing to pay uh, as much as $10 million a win for the top of the market. That might mean something for Aaron Judge. Or maybe it's just that they saw within the first base market, uh, there were only two first basemen, maybe three if you count Josh Bell, that were projected to be league average or better. Anthony Rizzo re-signed with the Yankees. Maybe they didn't like Josh Bell as much. And so they were willing to give that extra four, five million dollars, whatever it took uh, to make sure that Breu was an Astro. Uh, but in terms of his performance on the field, uh, you know, he's been uh, 25 to 30 percent better than with the, than the league average of the bat all these years. He still hits the ball really hard. Um, only two players averaged a higher exit velocity last season. Uh, the run problem with him is that he's begun hitting the ball into the ground more. And uh, his barrel rate has gone down. His power has gone down. That's part of why he only had 15 homers last year. He had his league, uh, his, his, his career high uh, in ground ball rate. And that is one thing that happens as you age. You hit more ground balls after your peak. So if there is a problem with Abreu is that he'll be a little bit of an empty batting average where he hits for a pretty good batting average because he still makes contact. He'll have the OBP, but, he, but the, maybe the power is not going to come back. Still, that sounds very Michael Brantley-esque. So if he kind of replaces Michael Brantley as a righty uh, in terms of making contact and hitting 15 to 20 homers a year, I think they'll be fine with the deal, even if they overpaid by $45 million. $425 million. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, so the, the thing about overpaying in free agency, and I know this is a, you know, not a video show for everyone, it is on the Athletic Baseball Show's YouTube page, is that when you grossly underpay players like Jeremy Pena, which is just the structure of Major League Baseball. This is not directed at the Astros. Mm-hmm. You can afford to throw a few extra million at Jose Abreu relative to what your spreadsheet says. That's how this works. <laughs> you remember what Andrew Friedman said? And he said, it's funny when people say these things and you're like, wow, you said that out loud. He said, uh, if you never overpay according to what your analysts say or what your numbers say, you'll never get a free agent. You know, people who've played fantasy baseball probably understand that, too, because if you've ever played in a salary cap draft, formerly an auction, if you've ever played in that format, people don't stick to the numbers on their sheet for the very best players. Everyone tends to go over those numbers for the best players. Free agency is a bit like that, where you have this limited number of players available. I think your point about the first base pool is really important here, too, because if they didn't get Jose Abreu and there were plenty of other suitors in the Padres the Red Sox were among the teams rumored to be interested, and there are probably some others. The White Sox may have even wanted him back. They made an offer. If you look at those teams all competing, one of those three teams is going to get nothing in free agency as far as a above-average hitter at first base goes. Now, some of these teams have organizational replacements. The White Sox will play Andrew Vaughn at first base. Uh, but I look at Jose Abreu, and just looking at him at kind of a five-year snapshot of his offensive profile compared to the two outfielders we were talking about, Teoscar Hernandez and Hunter Renfro, Abreu strikes out quite a bit less than both of those players. He walks just as much as those guys. So you get a, a more balanced slash line, right? You get a 280s batting average, usually a 350-ish OBP and similar power. 
but you get a better offensive performance and you get it at a position that's actually a little bit harder to find players like that. A lot of the players you can find at first base are platoon mashers. And then you got to use two roster spots to even maximize their value. So I do think this is a bit of an interesting supply and demand sort of thing with the Braves specifically. Um, that doesn't even mention some of the the other factors that might lead a team to go the extra mile to get a player. I, I think he's a very likable teammate by every account, right? People are going to miss him in Chicago, and it sounds like he's going to be a great fit in Houston too. So I think they're going to be fine. Even if Jose Abreu is only good for two out of the three years, the Astros are going to be absolutely fine giving him that third year because there's a good enough chance they win a World Series one of the first two years that they won't even care what happens in 2025. Yeah, and I wonder what's next for the Astros. Uh, A lefty outfielder would be interesting. And, um, you know, considering their Chaz McCormick, Jake Myers with an injured shoulder in center field. I mean, I know that's that's in his rearview mirror, but um, we haven't really seen the same Jake Myers post-injury um, I think it might be interesting for them, uh, a sort of uh, high variance uh, outfielder that hits from the left side, Mr. Cody Bellinger. But would he? But would he join the Astros? He was pretty angry about that whole thing. <laughs> he was. It really depends on how how he believes they might be able to help him. Like it's got to be a factor, right. right? But the other factors here. If you're the Astros and your strength as an offense continues to be an ability to do damage while also putting a ton of balls in play up and down your lineup, this is a very difficult lineup to rack up strikeouts against. Just tough at bat after tough at bat. Does Cody Bellinger as a high K percentage bounce back candidate make sense for the way they're built or are they more likely to go maybe in the direction of like an Andrew Benintendi and try to... To actually find a bargain in free agency and and say, yeah, actually, we think he can be kind of Brantley-esque for us in this park. And and maybe he offers quite a bit more defensively than some of the alternatives out there, too. So you're making up some value on that side. And they probably uh, have the ability to to spend, you know, there's a lot of discussion right now uh, if they will get Justin Verlander. If they get Justin Verlander, uh, you know, I think they will be in the luxury tax. And I doubt that they will uh, actually spend much more for another outfielder. I think they'll just uh, try to make it work with Jake Myers, Chaz McCormick, Mauricio Dubon, and maybe uh, some sort of uh, you know lower tier uh, outfielder uh, that, or maybe even like a, a DH and play Jordan Alvarez. Like maybe pick up like a Matt Carpenter and, and, and play Jordan Alvarez more in the outfield, that sort of deal. Um, if they don't get Justin Verlander, I think Andrew Benatendi and uh, Michael Conforto become uh, more interesting players for them. Lefty swinging outfielders that, that won't strike out as much. So I, I do think they're, uh, they've got maybe uh, $30 million uh, that they could, they could spend. And it kind of is either is all in the Justin Verlander pile uh, or we get a couple of players uh, that help us in the other pile. So that's an interesting uh, decision for them going forward. I just want Jim Crane, if he's going to have a larger say in the decision-making, to just keep throwing money at people. Get Justin Verlander and Michael Conforto. There we just go. Just keep going. Just just show us how rich you are. Just keep signing players. <laughs> just show off your money. Like You I, just I mean, made a bunch of money by making it the playoffs. That's worth a lot, you know, going all the way through. That's a lot of gate receipts and, and, and jersey sales and, and so on and so forth. 
Yeah, absolutely. I would also say that the interest they have in Wilson Contreras seems legitimate too. I mean, that made sense going back to the trade deadline last year, and we kind of later found out there there were some conversations about possibly making that happen. Let's talk about Mike Clevenger going to the White Sox. I believe he was one of the players you wrote about in your recent free agent bargains piece. So what do you think about Clevenger heading to the south side of Chicago? You know, that was another one where, you know, the the crowd said one year and eight million. The White Sox, uh, said, you know, did one year and 12 million. I, I would say that this... Um, is evidence that uh, perhaps the market's going to be more healthy than uh, the projections have been, but it's not totally the case. The uh, crowdsource projections had 44 million for Tyler Anderson. He went for 39. Um, they had 30, uh, 39 million over three years for Martin Perez. I guess uh, he kind of beat that in a one-year deal for 19 million. But Nick Martinez, uh, the crowd said two for 16. He went three for 26. They're not that far off. Um, and I don't know if I should make a big deal about $4 million, but once you get to one year and $12 million, you do, uh, put yourself in the, in the running for some other, uh, kind of maybe better pitchers. Uh, Corey Kluber is going to be at that one year and $12 million range. Um, you may find, uh, that, uh, Jameson Tyon may take something like that. If he doesn't want the three-year deal, you might be able to, uh, get Sean Manaya to d- give you a one-year, $12 million deal to reestablish some of his value. Um, you know, there's just uh, a little bit better. Andrew Haney could even take one year and $12 million. So there's, uh, you know, there are pitchers out there that I would rather have for one year and $12 million because uh, Clevenger uh, still has a good slider, but no other pitch of his really uh, rated as above average um, by Stuff Plus. And uh, his second best pitch is his cutter. I don't know if he can really just become a cutter slider guy. Um, so there's uh, there's some velo that he left on the table, on the operating table. Uh, and I'm waiting for him to get that back. And it's not the easiest thing to coach back up, you know. I love Ethan Katz as a coach in Chicago, but uh, it's not like he can just be like, hey, throw harder. He could, but I don't think that, I don't think it works that way. Yeah, right. <laughs> Probably not the the best uh, advice that he could could give in isolation. But I think with Clevenger, the question most people are going to have is how much more can stuff return another year removed from Tommy John? If you go back to the four years, twenty seventeen to twenty twenty, the four years before Clevenger was hurt, he was a top twenty starting pitcher by WAR. The problem, I think, is that when you are in that group. For a four-year stretch, you're not usually there for the next four-year stretch because of injuries, because of lost velocity, because of all the things that just happen as a pitcher ages. Is it reasonable to expect a little more of a recovery going through a completely normal offseason this winter? If he gets a, a tick back, does that does that change a lot or a little for Clevenger and his 2023 outlook? I mean, I have to say it sounds reasonable. And I, I and and I think the stakes are fairly low for the White Sox in that, uh, you know, Clevenger slots in as their four or five, depending on the health of Michael Kopech's knee. Uh, and, and so, you know, even if he isn't that great, you know, he'll be OK. He's, the, he's their fifth Spartan pitcher. It's a one year deal. Don't make a big deal out of it. On the other hand, I will just have to say that the research suggests that your stuff comes back quicker than your command. Um, and so, you know. The fact that he's down almost two ticks from, uh, yeah, he's down two ticks from where he was healthy before surgery. Uh, I I don't I don't 
I wouldn't predict that he gets those two ticks back. Sounds like this is a move that you're kind of neutral on. Kind of a if you're grading it A to F, what are you throwing on that? It's fine. I mean, like you send uh, one year and twelve million dollars to Corey Kluber, you have the downside risk of injury and and sort of the, all the all the miles on his arm, right? So, and, and you know, maybe some of those other guys that I mentioned, Tyone, uh, you know, Mania, a lot of those guys are projected for two years, so maybe they'll get two or three years, and then they'd rather have that the security than one year deal. So uh, maybe this is where the market's at, and uh, he does he could he could get some of the stuff back and. If not, he's he's an okay fist starter. Yeah, I think I would log this as probably a slightly better than average kind of move. I, I actually feel like it's a, a gamble worth taking for the White Sox, and I think it could work out for him in the back end of that rotation. Uh, one trade that went down that I don't think we've had a chance to discuss, Kyle Lewis goes to the Diamondbacks. Cooper Hummel goes back the other way. Kind of a catcher utility player, and it sounds like the Mariners like him enough to catch him at least a little. Obviously, they have Cal Raleigh as their primary catcher, and Raleigh is going to handle a ton of that workload behind the plate. But let's start with Lewis, a guy that's really battled injuries throughout his entire professional career. When we've seen him on the field, is Kyle Lewis still showing us enough of a, of a power ceiling to remain intriguing, health permitting? He's actually underperformed his batted ball st- rates. In, in the way, what I mean is that he has a very high barrel rate. He's put, he's hit the ball hard in the right angles um, for power, and yet uh, the best we've seen out of him is basically like a 20, 22 homer pace, maybe twenty five homer pace in twenty twenty in the in the shortened season. Um, so you know he has the barrel rates of somebody who who could hit thirty homers. So he has that power in him. That's very exciting because he pairs it with uh, some ability to make contact in his better years, some patience. Um, you know, overall, I think we haven't necessarily seen the best season that we could see out of him in terms of quantity and quality, right? So they're making a bet that, uh, a little bit like Cattell Marte, where, you know, this is a guy who can hit the ball hard, and uh, we haven't seen this best yet, and we're, we're going to take advantage of that. On the other hand, you know, Nobody's more in tune or more, more aware of Kyle Lewis's health and his knees and his ability to provide positional value, to, 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 to provide any sort of defensive value than the Mariners, who could have used a bat down the stretch and chose to leave him in the minor leagues. And so when I saw that, I, I thought, this guy's not going to be a Mariner for much longer. Cooper Hummel is a guy that barrels the ball. Uh, does not uh, swing at uh, balls outside the zone and has trouble making has had trouble making contact at the major league level, but had better contact rates in the minor leagues. Uh, in some ways, he's a similar bet that uh, he has better days in front of him with the bat and can also help them somewhere defensively. <laughs> I think that's a big part of it with Lewis is that I think the Mariners they already have Jesse Winker. Winker's mm-hmm. coming off of two pretty significant injuries. They didn't really have the luxury of trying to let Kyle Lewis figure it out as a DH. Whereas when you look at the Arizona depth chart, we know they've got a ton of outfielders. Most of them are lefties, right? When you look at Corbin Carroll and Dalton Varsho and Jake McCarthy and Alec Thomas, they are all left-handed hitters. And if you look at their DH position chart, I mean, Christian Walker's the first baseman, so you're not really 
worried about him taking a ton of the time at DH. DH was sort of a floating spot. Paven Smith, part of that too, another lefty. So Kyle Lewis, I think, could emerge as a legitimate everyday DH if everything goes right in Arizona. And I don't think that path really existed for him in Seattle, where they have higher expectations and they would have needed him to play more in the outfield. And they also traded for Teoscar Hernandez, right? So, you know, even if Jesse Winker you know, gets healthy and plays better in the outfield, then they still have another guy who could play DH and Teoscar Hernandez is not, he's not a very good defensive outfielder. So they have two guys already that they, that they kind of want to use in that DH spot. So yeah, a hundred percent I'm with you on that analysis. And, you know, for the, for Arizona, it could end up uh, being a steal. You know, honestly, if, if he can uh, hit 25 homers and, and, and strike out 22% of the time and, and walk 10% of the time, then he's going to be like 20, 20, 25% better than the league average with a bat. And that's going to be better than Paven Smith or Emmanuel Rivera or whoever else, or Cooper Hummel, uh, honestly, uh, in their DH spot in Arizona. Could be one of those minor trades that you look back at a year from now and say that actually worked out for both sides. Both teams got a little bit better where they needed to be with the, the swap that they made in uh, November. Jamer Candelario signs with the Nationals. You want playing time as a free agent? Sign with the Nats. They got plenty of playing time up for grabs. Uh, how do you feel about this as a, a rebuilding team kind of going after not an old guy by any stretch, almost a, a younger sort of player that was more available than people might have expected a couple of years ago? I mean, it looked like Jamer Candelario was possibly part of the Tigers core maybe two years ago. And now he's he's going to D.C. Yeah, I th- actually think the Tigers made a poor decision of non-tendering him. It was only $7 million, and Candelario had a pretty good track record of uh, being able to put up good on-base percentages with better-than-league average power. I mean, he had two years in a row uh, where he was 20% or better th- th- with the bat. Um, so I think he'd sort of proven he should he, he should have given himself more, uh, you know, leash, as they say, uh, by what he did in 2020 and 2021. Um, and so I'm a little, I, I think the, the Tigers made a poor decision there. What I like about this, uh, for the nationals is that this is a little bit more in the Joey Manessas category than it is in the, um, uh, Alcides Escobar category, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It, you know, when you're, when you're a bad team, you have these, the precious resource, which is playing time. Like you said, you have this opportunity that you can give people. And this is something that the A's do almost better than anybody, right? When they're bad, they just cycle through players. They just pick up players off of waivers. They just give everybody chances. And then maybe you get Seth Brown and you don't ever remember the other guys they tried (laughs) because they just move on. They got their Seth Brown and they do it again with their other positions and they get somebody new and then they, and and then they look up and they're over 500 and they're making the playoffs. So uh, the Nationals, when they, had, uh, you know, Alcides Escobar out there, there was no chance that Alcides Escobar was going to play himself into any trade value or any future value for the team. Uh, Heimer Candelario is more like Joey Manessas in either he, you know, recovers, he, he, he made some poor swing decisions last year and, and chased more than he had in his past. If he just recovers that ability and goes back to being, you know, a steady 20% above league average third baseman that can actually play third. He's not a great third baseman, but you know that around playoff time, there will be a team that says, man, we were figuring it out at third and it'd be much better if we had an actual, uh, you know, third baseman that could hit. Maybe Eugenio Suarez gets hurt or takes a step back. Uh, You know, maybe 
the Marlins decide they would rather have somebody than Joey Wendell. You know, they have a good season there. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, there's plenty of situations where maybe Josh Donaldson's hurt for the Yankees. You know, uh, the Giants right now at third base have David VR and Wilmer Flores and JD Davis at the top of their, uh, their, their group. So there's a lot of places that if they're contending could say, Hey, we want Heimer Candelario. And at the very least, it's uh, a bounce back candidate that maybe, who knows, maybe they sign him, but you know, it's a better use of, of plate appearances than Alcides Escobar. Yeah, I thought the addition of Stone Garrett by the Nationals also made a lot of sense. They have playing time up for grabs in their outfield. You look at what Garrett's done at AAA. He's shown power. He's shown speed. A 23.9% K rate in the PCL probably is a concern, especially if you're not a, a double-digit walk rate sort of player because against big league pitching, that K rate is going to be probably closer to 30%. Uh, but there's power and speed. There's plenty of playing time available in the outfield, and from an offensive profile perspective, it's a little bit like Adelis Garcia, and you think about the value that Garcia is providing the Rangers right now. If you can take some of those tools and put them on the field for even a half season to see if you caught lightning in a bottle, I think that's a a gamble worth taking. So I actually like both of these moves for the Nats, given what they're doing right now, and given that the the bulk of the the young prospects they traded for are still you know not quite ready to try and push them to their next competitive window. Not a single one of the outfielders in Washington are projected to be, the, the, at least the outfielders at the top of the depth charts right now, Victor Robles, Lane Thomas, Josh Palacios. Uh, none of those guys are projected to be league average players next year. And in fact, with Robles and Palacios, they're not even projected to give you one win. So they're very close to replacement players at this point. And so Stone Garrett could easily replace one of them. Now, I thought, you know, worst case scenario, he's a righty. Um, You know, maybe he makes more contact against uh, lefties and he could slot in in a platoon with Lane Thomas. Um, But, you know, he did have reverse platoon splits in the minor leagues last year, Stone Garrett. Uh, That's not that doesn't really matter. You wouldn't project a guy to have reverse platoon splits. That takes something like thousands of plate appearances to believe. Uh, So I would say... I would just put Stone Garrett in one of those positions um, and and give him full-time playing time and and do the kind of Joey Manessis thing where it's like, let's just see what you've got, kid. Like, let's give you a full season. If he can strike out 25% of the time uh, and hit for power and be speedy and play good defense, then it won't matter that he doesn't walk. Um, and, and he could play himself into a regular playing time. And I know there's people who follow prospects who think that Jake Alou... Uh, is is the guy there in uh, in in Washington, and I do love uh, Alou's combination of power and contact, and I do think that Alou um, is going to be there soon. He was in AAA last year for 242 play appearances. He's 25 years old. There's room on this roster for Jake Alou and Stone Garrett, dude. I, I mean, you could. There's there's still room on this roster. I yes, I think center. Uh, I'm not sure that Garrett or Alou play center. I think you could put Lane Thomas and Victor Robles in a in a platoon in center and still play Stone and Alou on the corners and still have DH to play with. So, uh, you know, you can like Alou and Garrett and think that this uh, this this team offers opportunity for both. Yeah, it's still not a crowded depth chart in D.C. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you have someone that you like in the upper levels of that system, they're not blocked. They can earn an opportunity relatively easily compared to a lot of other depth charts around the league right now 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's go lightning round on the rest of these moves. Carlos Santana to the Pirates, who also added G-Man Choi and Luan Diaz in recent weeks. I saw one model that said Carlos Santana is one of the top 10 players that would would benefit from the new shift rules. Um, And so, you know, you have a Pirates team that has added uh, a couple players in G-Man Choi and, uh, and Carlos Santana that uh do pull the ball along the left side um you know so that's two two players that might benefit from the new rules that weren't very expensive uh and that make this team better you're starting to see i think in pittsburgh uh, a positional core come together o'neill cruz is uh an elite prospect uh could be aaron judge at shortstop i mean that's 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 the comparison when you look at you know, contact rates as a possible flaw, but also the quality of batted balls, the size, you know, the defensive ability. Uh, Brian Hayes is, is a is a core piece, even if he doesn't have the power. Brian Reynolds is a core piece. So now you're starting to put pieces around those core pieces. They've got a core catcher coming up through their uh, their their minor league, uh, you know, situation. So really now. The onus is on their pitching team. It's now time for their pitching team to start producing some wins. Ronzi Contreras, Yarhure, Michael Burrows, Luis Ortiz. Uh, there's some there's some stuff to really like there too. So I actually think this Pirates team is on the rise, uh, and I see a lot to like here. Yeah, I thought I saw something that said the Carlos Santana contract, like a one year, just under seven million dollar deal, was the largest free agent contract the Pirates oh have been out since the two year deal to Dan Hudson. Oh God! It was like two and eleven, two and eleven and a half. But that's so. that's a little unfair because it, they did. they shouldn't they shouldn't be throwing money at free agents in well, the last also, four to five but, years, relatively speaking, in terms but, of like big contracts. Also, I'm sure there were some um, like arbitration and extension type contracts in there, right? Yeah, it's just, it was just a it was a funny stat though. Yeah, they're playing Brian Reynolds, thir- you know, thirteen million dollars and. 
I just thought it was a funny stat, though, in the sense that we talk about teams taking gambles, even like the Mike Clevenger contract with the White Sox and the Pirates for such a long time back in the, <laughs> yeah. the Ray Searage pitching coach days were the place you could go on a pillow deal, a one-year contract, and try and kind of reestablish your market for the long haul. Quintana I just don't know. Just did it, yeah. But yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not spending. And I, I, I think that you know, if you look at their historical trends, they used to put, uh, they used to like, you know, during the Andrew McCutcheon years, they had, um, you know, $100 million rosters. And, you know, in today's game, that'd be 120, 130 million, I think. Uh, so I do think that as this team starts to get better, they will spend a little bit closer to the 120, $130 million level that they've, that they've shown in the past. I, that's, that's their ability to do. I think you're also right that why why spend 120 130 million dollars when the core is just not good enough to support it. So as this core gets better and shows them um you know shows improvement they're going to do more of these 8 10 15 million dollar deals. I also think it's challenging to find players that want to come play for you in a big rebuild. If you have a chance to choose where you go for one of the only times in your career, do you want to go to a team that's projected to be bottom of the standings or do you want to go somewhere at least with a shot to go to the playoffs i think that's also a factor that leads to multi-year trends like this too obviously spending is still a choice but you do need people interested in playing for a team during a period to bring in quality players like that let's talk about brent rooker for a moment claimed off waivers by the a's just a another masher another another guy tumbling through the depth chart that could stick could be the next seth brown could be off the roster by the middle of may if it doesn't work out yeah, man, that they haven't even put him. Well, they have put him on the depth chart here on Fangraphs as the fourth. Oh, the, yeah, the fourth left fielder behind Clint Capel, Tony Kemp, Cal Stevenson. That doesn't seem like much of a chance, but uh, he has barreled the ball in the past. Uh, he doesn't make uh, great contact, but he is kind of that through three true outcome kind of guy walks strikeouts and homers um and uh he still has a, a chance uh to be uh maybe a dh type uh for them um and right now at dh they're showing shea langoliers and sean murphy as the number uh one and two dhs and those guys are catchers you don't want to play them at dh too much so i would actually uh slot brent rooker in as one of their dhs right now I actually think there's a very good chance we see Sean Murphy on another roster in 2023 because he'll bring back a lot for the A's via trade. They need help uh, up the middle. I know Kevin Smith showed a little bit of life in in, in the minors last year, but uh, I don't know if he's necessarily a shortstop. Nick Allen has doesn't have the bat. Uh, they've been cycling through guys like uh, Diaz. Uh, what's his first name? Jordan Diaz. Uh, I didn't. I didn't think Jordan Diaz had the glove for second. Uh, I didn't think Jonah Bride had the glove for second. He he came up as a first baseman, so they really need some help up the middle uh, on the infield. And I think you know trading Murphy is about the only way to get that right now. How about Shelby Miller going to the Dodgers? Big league deal too. One and a half million dollars. Is he the latest uh, Dodgers scrap heap reclamation project? I know uh, people with other teams that were, you know, analytics uh, people with other teams that were pushing to sign him. That is why it took one and a half million dollars. It was not a, you know, like a minor league deal or a five hundred thousand dollar deal. I know I have a stuff metric that looks at the physical shapes of, of pitches, the shapes and velos of the pitches. He was the best 
uh, reliever available by Stuff Plus. Um, now, it was only 130 pitches or so, but that it is a metric that's designed to be useful in, in small samples. It is why the Dodgers gave him a million and a half dollars. You know, uh, you wouldn't give him a million and a half dollars based on the results he had last year. So uh, the only worry for me is that um, it is the type of pitcher that should have high platoon splits. He may not be a guy that you want to play against lefties a lot. And the rules next year will favor lefty batters. Um, And so, you know, he's uh, maybe what you call a roogie. It doesn't really exist anymore because of the rules. It's a righty one out guy. Uh, You have to get three outs now. But, you know, back in the day, you used to have roogies. He's the guy, kind of guy that I would really want to hide against lefties. Uh, still very useful, not a closer necessarily, but you know, every spot on your roster can be good. And if you're the Dodgers, you can spend $1.5 million on a spot on the roster where everyone else is trying to spend 500,000. Yep. You have that luxury because you are the Dodgers. You get those deeper pockets. Let's get to a mailbag question before we go. This one came from Matt in Reno. Matt was watching the Cardinals Philly series during the postseason. It seemed like a matchup of incredible defense on the Cardinals side versus an amazing offense and a much maligned defense on the Philly side. And it felt like the ball was not hit to Nick Castellanos all series, which made Matt think about the randomness of balls in play. When calculating offensive and defensive war, a batter will see typically four to five plate appearances in a game, no matter what, while a fielder may go three games in between defensive chances is this randomness somehow baked into defensive war and does it make offensive contributions somewhat more valuable come postseason time? That's a tough one. Um, he's absolutely correct that defensive metrics are working with less sample. You know, uh, it's even worse than he puts it because, uh, you know, when you're at the plate, we get a lot of information from every plate appearance, you know. There, every plate appearance, you give us more information, and then you give us 600 plate appearances of information. That's useful. All of it's useful. We can tell you something after 50 plate appearances. After 50 plate appearances, I can tell you how good you are at not swinging at balls. I can tell you how good you are at making contact. I can, after 100 plate appearances, I can start to tell you how good you are at making powerful contact. So th- we get a lot of information from you at the plate. Out in the field, um, certain positions might get. Uh, 200, 250, 300 chances over the full season. And of those 300 chances, 100, 150 might not tell us anything. Right, maybe routine chances. Either routine or you had no chance. You know, mm-hmm. there was, that that was a screen, that was a homer. That was a screaming line drive. That was, that was a, that was a can of corn, you know? And so we're always looking at, now the way that it's baked into war is by regressing and, um, trying to compare and, and trying to make the most out of the, the, the numbers that you're given. And there's different statistical tricks you can play to make the most out of a smaller sample. Um, so it is baked into war that way. Uh, but then you have to just look on the higher level and just be like, how valuable is defense on the higher level? And, uh, and then you use that to weight it in war. Uh, so it's also not baked into war in that You'll just have players that look better according to war or worse according to war on one year based on just a couple balls going the wrong way, a couple drops. Um, And so that is one of the uh, biggest sort of weaknesses in war. There's nothing to be done about it. It's just a fact that we're not as good at at, at valuing defense. So, um, yeah, somebody like Castellanos next year could just be a tiny bit better on defense and see. And I, I predict, in fact, that he will have 
uh, one of the two or three biggest swings in war from this year to next year. He will be one of the, he will be talked about for uh, bounce back player of the year because he was the second worst major league regular this year by war. Uh, I think he had minus, minus three war or something, minus 0.3 war. Uh, a lot of that was that defensive value. So if he just makes any sort of defensive adjustments, he tries a little bit harder and balls bounce a little bit better for him. He could easily be a two, three war player next year. Yeah, it's it's a huge swing for a guy that was you know minus point seven WAR this season. If he's minus a two and a half, or if he's like two and a half above, it's a three WAR swing just from offensive contributions alone. Even if the defense is the same, but if it gets slightly better because of variance, then you get even more of an impact in that final result. Uh, Matt also wanted to chime in that uh, he'd love a running update from you as it's his dream to name you as his favorite runner on a running podcast someday oh that would be great uh i've had uh two sinus infections a uh sprained toe and a sprained knee uh all in the last two months or so um and so i've run through them (laughs) which was was not fun but I was trying to make my goal of 800 miles on the year, and I will probably make it. I'm, uh, I'm going to run past 740 today, and I've got a month left. So uh, I'm on pace to make that. And I ran uh, the half marathon in uh, two hours and six uh, minutes. So I made that goal uh, that I ran the half marathon this year. The one goal I didn't make was a pace-related goal. I, tried, I wanted to run uh, five miles in under eight minutes a mile. I didn't get anywhere close because I switched my training to, to running slow. Um, and, uh, so I kind of did a different training, but we'll see if I, I want to do that next year. Uh, or if I want to run a thousand miles next year, going further, got to get a shoe upgrade going. <laughs> yeah. All right. Can I, get, can I get a shoe sponsor? Those things I've, I'm now to the point where you're supposed to you uh, buy them every three to 400 miles. So I'm buying multiple shoes a year having a shoe sponsor would save me some cash yeah we're uh we're here you know you can always reach out to us rates and barrels at theathletic.com we'll be sure to pass it on to the ad sockney team, i'm course. a sockney guy all right well hey you might have to be a i don't know asics nike adidas something else kind of guy depending on uh, who comes calling if anyone comes calling but thanks a lot for that email matt and hopefully everybody is uh, fully up to speed now on eno's running situation which frankly i got to give you credit because a lot of people not feeling well quickly bail on on running i am one of those people if i feel under the weather i'm not out there running i don't push myself through it because i'm soft like that but that's going to do it for this episode of the 30 show we've got a special going right now at the athletic.com slash baseball show it's two dollars a month for the first 12 months if you sign up for a subscription to the athletics so be sure to get that while you can on twitter you can find eno at Eno Saris, you can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns next week for the winter meetings. We've always got the green light here.